0: most people listen to podcasts to learn something, to be entertained and to walk away feeling inspired, perhaps even educated a bit. Hello, I'm Devo and I'm one of the two hosts of our show, the Little Impolite Podcast. Welcome and thanks for listening. This show is for the expansive, open-minded, creative whose persistent curiosity towards integrating new information in their lives never stops. Think of it as the Free thinkers' toolkit for anyone that refuses to enroll in the conformity of all of those around them, instead forging their own paths with fortitude and love. It's that slightly unapologetic conversation with that new friend you just met that sort of wistfully and effortlessly pushes the conversation into spaces that you never expected. It's the deep-hearted conversations with purposeful and thoughtful individuals that have Finally figured out their superpowers and are now pouring into it with gusto and love. We're delighted to host these conversations with you that lead us down the conversation well. But watch your step, because most of our guests and, of course, Lisa and I, are a little impolite. Good morning, Lisa. Staff Devo here, Little Impolite Podcast. I'm in Charlotte today. Lisa's in Hilton Head. We're in two different studios. We have a brilliant guest that I've been uh, following for the... But Gabby, we've known for almost a year now. I was just looking back at the notes when we first encountered or first got connected with her. Um, and we're going to bring her on in a minute and introduce her. But wanted to just quickly talk about the show, what we got going on. Lisa, welcome. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing great. It is beautiful here in Hilton Head. And um, we're really excited about today. And we're excited about our little Impolite podcast. If anyone is new to this... We thank you for joining us. We used to be mind body business, but now we want to be able to drop in some spicy sentence enhancers, swear a little bit. So we're going to get a little impolite. And is that use, what we're about? No. We what do. are
0: we about? <laughs> no, we're really the, the podcast, the <laughs> themeology of the show hasn't changed much, much has it? So, it's, no. you know, in our travels and our uh, daily adventures and social media excursions, we meet and greet some really cool people. And so the whole point of the show is to draw some light around really interesting conversations with people like Gabby who are doing some fantastic things on the planet to make not only their corner of the world, but the cascade effect of others that um, uh, just generally things better and and brighter for everyone.
1: So
0: so I met Gabby, I I believe I met her through Instagram and I I was trying to jog my notes again over a year ago. I saw some of the stuff she was doing. She's a fellow San Diegan. We're going to love that.
1: Oh no, you uh, California California. people. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And so she's got a really cool story uh, and she's using flow state as sort of her vehicle to make a change on the planet. And so we're going to have a conversation with her about what flow state actually is. How can one find flow state? Because you've talked about flow state a bit in our conversations over the last few years, haven't you?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it's come to light a little bit more. I don't think that we actually realized what it was when we were in that state before, but just with the awakening of a lot of people and talking about these mindful things, it's like, oh, there's there's actually a name for it, and there's a uh, theology behind it, too, so I'm excited about talking about that.
0: Yeah, it, it's in there. it is interesting. I never really realized it had a name until you know the last five or six years of my life when I started really sort of stepping in, or maybe woo here, but sort of stepping into the metaphysical aspects of our, of our lives. But it's true. you know, there's that time in the space where whether you're on a photo shoot, Um, I I had multiple sessions like that over the last few, over the weekend and multiple sessions I was in where you just sort of kind of caught in like a hypnotic trance, if you will, just being in the space and everything just seems to work. No matter what happens, everything just seems to work in your favor. And um, I never really understood that before. And, And it's interesting that, you know, it does have a name, probably has a bunch of different names, but being able to consciously step into that is what Gabby has learned and she's going to share that with us. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's interesting that you say that. I got onto a podcast with you and Dan and Gina. Um, gosh, this was probably a year ago too. And I came in late, which, you know, <laughs> I do a lot sometimes. And you were already talking about something. I had no idea what you're talking about. You're talking about flow. And I was like, what? And they, he asked me a question. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, which, you know, that's, that's me a lot of times in life, but it's interesting when you do get into it. There's a you know, we, we have the opportunity to work with so many different people. And and again, I was working over the weekend too. And um, sometimes we're, we're, we have video going of us and you watch it later and you're like, I don't even like, it's almost sometimes like an out of body experience. You get into what you love doing and maybe on the way to doing it, you're feeling like anxious or stressed or there's these things going on. But when you step into it, it really is a flow, isn't it? And you, you look at it after and you're like, who, who was that person I don't even remember doing that. It just it just happens and it just flows. So it's a, it's a little bit of magic.
0: Gabby will appreciate this story because um, she's also a soccer player. And my daughter is a soccer player as well, as am I. And, and you know that. And it's interesting because as a, as a parent and a father, you want your kids to always sort of like do the best at everything, right? Uh, without trying to live by curiosity through them. Um, I was at, uh, Kelly had a couple of games last week and one of them was with her club. And her club is like you—you know—you know this is one of the premier soccer teams in the state. And she has a nice little
1: humble brag there.
0: Yeah, I mean, shes a, I even <laughs> brag about my kid. She's a really badass soccer player, and um, she was a completely different player. The team, her club team, is considerably different level of soccer than her high school team. And if, if you, Gabby, would know this, if she played club in high school. One is a, like high level. One is just sort of maybe slightly above average. But she was after the game, she was like, dad, how come I can never play like that when I play with my high school team? She's like, I can never really get comfortable in the space. And it's funny because I said, you know, when you're out there playing with your team, your club team, or you've been playing with for years, you know, these girls inside and out, like you've literally been playing with these, most of these girls since she was five years old. So it just sort of comes natural to her to step onto that pitch and just kind of like jump into this flow state. Right. But now when she plays high school ball, It's not a very good level of soccer, so there's not a lot of chemistry, and she doesn't really know the girls very well, so they are still basically trying to get to know each other every single game. And so it's sort of an awkward game when she's out there, and I'm like, I never really thought about it in this space, but she's basically kind of, it's brand new to her, so I'd be interested to hear what Gabby has to say for... Sort of a situation like that where she's unfamiliar with the environment, unfamiliar with the team members. How can she kind of find that happy place, even when it's a completely different environment? So anyhow, you ready to bring her in? Absolutely. So before we do that, I just sort of want to talk a little bit about who she is, just to kind of give her um, some framework for who she is. Um, she's a nomad, um, and, and we're going to hear a little bit about that. She has traveled all over the, the planet. Uh, most recently, I just think I saw her in Europe, but her family basically has a, had a business, sold their belongings, and they bought a, an RV or, or some sort of a fifth wheel, and they just started traveling the country. That sort of segued into traveling the world. And she, in her journeys with her family and with herself, she sort of made a parallel between world traveling and just sort of doing her own thing with her family and kind of finding inner peace. And in that process of finding inner peace, she sort of realized, like, like we just talked, that this inner peace had this sort of flow capacity to her. So she's taken that paradigm and she's re-engineered it to be a business proposition for herself. And she's doing master classes and all sorts of um mind body business works here i did that with mm-hmm. people to help them find their flow state so I, I want to hear a little about her journey talk to her a little bit more about what she's doing and just kind of get some feedback yeah. on how we yeah
1: i'm really interested she's she's done so much already in her life and um, i was just listening to your ted talks amazing um i'm interested in you kind of Filling yourself back into like normal society after all of your adventures and your mindfulness and being very intentional and thoughtful and coming to these these big big um, life changing thoughts and moments and all of that and then coming back to like a high school setting and how you integrate yourself with that, like that must've been so difficult as well. Like, right. Talking about things up here and people are talking about, well, talking about each other behind their backs and gossiping and all of that. And you're like, hey, how, do I, how do I elevate you so that we can actually like connect?
2: Right. And I guess like the duality is the only reason you can even kind of sense the contrast. If I, maybe without that, it wouldn't even have been a realization because absolutely that's like the, the craziest part of it all. When, when we came back, it was like, I don't even know how to people anymore. And it was crazy because before that, it was just, I was kind of like, definitely that person who could chameleonize, like kind of could make anyone sort of like me, uh, that type of person. Um, and then coming back, it was like, I don't even know how to do this anymore because it's just, I don't even understand why the subjects we talk about matter anymore. So, uh, but at the same time, from uh, whatever, seven, eight years down the road now, that that duality, that opposition is the only reason I can even see how there's the the value of all the mindfulness and inner work and the flow state of life itself of like discipline in combination with surrender and all of that.
1: That's so interesting. Even you saying, you know, I, I used to know how to make people like me and that's right. <laughs> society, isn't it? How can I make you like me? How can I change what I do, change what I say, change how I look so that I fit in? And then you had said, because I was stalking you hard, um, mm-hmm. you came back and you had all these great adventures that you wanted to share and things that would, would have, you know, conversational value. And they're scrolling on their phones,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not, not connected at all.
2: Yeah. And there was definitely, I think there were so many, there's so many uh, like psychological reasons for, like it took me so many years to understand kind of why I got the reaction I did. So there's all these, there's combinations of everyone acting from their own hurt from their past, their own jealousies, their own issues. And then people have, I talk a lot about, in in my TEDx talk, I talk about this too, how everyone has all these contracts and everyone has contracts, whether or not they realize that they have them, because we have to operate based on our value systems, because we have to have value systems to function in the world and they become contracts of what we expect out of people. And... Everyone has all these different contracts for different words. So what I think, what I thought acceptance and friendship and belonging and kindness looked like, well, one, for one thing, I valued those things. I valued that you should accept uh, accept someone, uh, whether or not you agree with them. And I valued kindness. And yet other people, whether they were acting from a supposed same value, they might say that they were acting from acceptance. But their contract of acceptance looked totally different than what I found. That contract systems look like, and then to top it all off, the, on the very simple level, nobody's taught to create at least, a, especially at that age in high school, middle school, uh, to have an intrinsic value system. That's just beyond what the you know people are so worried about the extrinsic value system of I've, I've got to go get my worth from my peers. I got to go get it from doing getting good grades, whatever, being being liked in uh that whole. Arena.
0: It's funny. Context is everything, isn't it? Before we go into that conversation, because I really want to dive into that space. Um, take us back to—I think you were seven years old when this sort of new voyage of discovery began. Even, even though you didn't know what it was at the time, tell me a little bit about that space. Your parents come to you and say, "We have this idea." There's five of you, six of you siblings. Is that correct?
2: There's five siblings in total. Five siblings.
0: So your parents come to you. To you and your five siblings and they say hey we have this really good idea take us into that space for a minute
2: okay so uh we had my parents had a business you know from a really young age um we had always lived in suburbia like uh, in chula vista in san diego if you know if you're familiar with san diego and so it was nothing which
0: is a completely different place when i was there lisa and i were in california two years ago and we went down to chula vista and i was like what happened
2: yeah (laughs) it's probably all hipster now or something
0: yeah but it wasn't even it was just a few like suburbia houses that they had excavated all the land and built these complexes of homes and then i came back and it's like this entire community now that's
2: funny i haven't been there in a while but i would i can imagine um so we i grew up there um And it was just like created that kind of rat race mentality because it was like a 30 to 45 minute drive to work. And but we did grow up homeschooled. All the siblings grew up homeschooled, never went to school. Um, So we did have that kind of unconventionalism from the start. But still, we had that rat race of like my dad went to work in the morning and then my mom and took us the rest of uh, the kids and uh, the kids to work. And we would all do gymnastics in the facility. And so we we all could tumble before we could walk. <laughs> we were doing handstands so that we could walk. But and so my parents at one point got tired of that. They were the commute and then the, pay, the the mortgage payment for, you know, the amount of, that you had to work for the house. And then the quality of life was not anything special. At some point we we bought an RV and we started camping all the time. And my mom's like, "This is great. We should just be by the beach all the time because we'd always go camp by the beach." And then, so we decided to go just uh, sell that house and go rent a house near the beach. And at some point, that that rent only lasted one to two years because the person just wanted their house back that they were renting. And so my parents were like, "Okay, well, we need to find a new rental." Um, but we have this RV, and we're gonna go take these two summer trips. These we were gonna we planned to do two long summer road trips, um, and we're like. Well, we're going to do these two trips anyway. Why not just turn those two trips into one trip? And then we save money, um, not having to rent a house for a couple months. And then we'll go find a new rental. And at the time, I was 14. And so I had one older sibling, a couple, three younger siblings. Um, and so we're like, oh, OK, this is great. Just going to be a few months. And we moved out of the house on April 1st. And to this day, it's running April Fool's joke, oh, five months. It's actually five years and then six years and then seven years and so on. Um, so it actually did not start with any intention to be a long-term thing, but we all, when we moved in, we were like, why go back? It doesn't make any sense. We, we enjoyed the quality of life and we did come back to San Diego often because my parents did still have their business there for a couple of years. And we would just, um, you know, RV full-time within like RV parks long-term, but then we never stayed put more than two months in any place.
0: So you're just bouncing around to different states, different. De- was there a destination ever in mind or are you just getting on the road and going someplace?
2: Um, initially, it was more well, more planned road trips. Uh-huh. But we would, you know, it was like an itinerary. You know, my, my mom was an over planner. So she was she would have the next six months planned with road trips. And yet we in the six months were planned, but we never stayed put longer than a couple days in each place. And then at times in the winter, particularly, we would do monthly, like, oh, one a couple months in San Diego or uh, whatever, a couple months in Colorado, Utah, Montana, and all, and that sort of thing. And now it's, like, free-flowing.
0: <laughs> so early in these adventures, was there resistance from you and your siblings? Were you guys kind of like, what the fuck? Or was everybody sort of on board from the get-go?
2: Um. From the get-go, we were all on board, given that we didn't know it was going to be so long. Um, and even, we I mean, we chose to stay in the RV because we were all coming from a place of mutual agreement. And I think in our heads, we already had that kind of ability to uh, critically decide, like, I have this option or this option. And we pro-con the whole thing. And each of us as individuals could see that, well, the pros outweigh the cons. And so yes, we were all pretty enthusiastic to continue to stay in the RV. There's still difficulties. There's always, there's some very unique challenges that are posed by living in an RV uh, and those never went away, but we got better at working with them. I mean, honestly, those, those issues got even more uh, expanded upon as the years went on toward the later years, around year four and five, it was more of an issue, but then it taught us a sense of grit and challenge and you know, this sense of, you know, weighing out risk and choosing what it is you really want at the end of it all to decide what what challenges are worth putting up putting up with to get to that desired result.
0: Lisa, remember when we were in Tulum and we met that couple on the beach mm-hmm. and were traveling? I think this was their, was it their fifth or sixth year they had been traveling? Yeah, but it was just, just in a van. Yeah, and they had done something similar to you. They, they had worked in the world and they wanted something bigger and better. And so they just dropped everything, sold everything on a dime, got into a van that they outfitted as sort of like a traveling roadie. And then um, they had sort of made their way through the Americas down into Mexico. And we met them in Tulum and they were just like waking up every morning surfing and going back into the van. So a very similar story to yours. Um, I had one interesting before we go on. When I was a kid, I'm one of 12. And oh, wow. Yeah, and um, we had never traveled anywhere. I was homeschooled as well, by the way, until sixth grade. And so I'm I'm interested in that conversation around critical thinking as it pertains to homeschooling. And then I want to go into that space with you. But we never took any vacations, no trips, nothing ever. We just didn't have the money to do it. And with 12 kids, it's sort of like a traveling circus anyway. But one day, my dad, my daughter, my sisters, sorry, my sisters played soccer and they had a tournament in Las Vegas. And so my dad rented a big RV and we're gonna take our first vacation ever. And so there's, at this point, there were 10 kids. So all 10 of us got into this RV and we drove to Las Vegas. And as we're going to Arizona, and I forget the name of the pass, but it's like the really high pass area. um, The RV, this was from Colorado, by the way, the RV broke down and we had to be towed into So we never made it to Vegas, long story short. And we ended up spending the night in a tow truck garage in the RV because my dad would not spend money for a hotel so 10 of us slept in an RV in a tow truck eating cold hot dogs until we could get the RV fixed and <laughs> we headed back home we never actually made it to Vegas.
2: that sounds like way too many nights that in the in the RV
0: so when you tell when I'm reading your story in your bio I'm like all I keep thinking was that road trip we took to Arizona and sleeping in a tow truck yard
1: So can you explain to me some of the challenges that you're saying that you went through as, as, as things progressed, as you had seven people living in, did you say 200 square feet, where most, like, honestly, most people, and I I moved here from Canada, and um, Canada's great, but even the US, the, the amount of bathrooms per person in a house, you know, like it'll be like six bathrooms in a house and three people living there. I, I've got neighbors, two people living in a 3,500 square foot house. Like it's crazy. And, and especially growing up and being adolescent and, and having all that shared space and traveling and all of that. What were some of the things that, that arose that you found to be the, the most challenging?
2: So on a simplistic level, sharing one Little four by four bathroom with seven people that we all have to take turns lining up for every night. That is a challenge in and of itself. However, the more uh, the deeper challenge was that. So when we went on our travels, you know, we went on our first trip in twenty fifteen. Loved it. Decided to keep going. So then we we wintered pretty much that whole winter. And then my mom bought one way tickets to Europe. We bought one way tickets to Europe, and we went in RV there. We ventured in an RV and. RV'd there for five, six months. And then we came back. And so the first trip we came back could kind of fit back into the norm. It's like, okay, I can kind of like fit myself into this box still. But then after the second trip to Europe, and you have the add in the culture shock, and we had even less money when we did that trip. So it was kind of like even more the sense of problem solving and like we find joy in the challenge and in the pursuit. And then we come back and it's just totally long gone. Like I can't we're not even in the same reality as the people, especially like in a big city. Maybe if you were in a small town, you know, I'm in a small town of Montana right now. wouldn't have been as shocking, but coming back and then it was like, okay, none of us wanted to stay in San Diego except my dad. My dad is a very, uh, I guess you could say grounded person, but he's also that the type who was like, I really like having my sense of safety and security. And that's That's fair to like have that, but the rest of us were like, we hate it. We want to go. We don't want to live here anymore. We don't even want to live in the RV here anymore. And so we constantly tried to push to have him relocate his job in other places. And so that really became the bigger challenge because really the challenge was where can you find like-minded people? Where can you find this sense of? I shouldn't even say belonging because it's not even what you're chasing. You're chasing the sense of where you can be interconnected to the world around you. Because we come back to San Diego and it felt like you're just a fish out of water. And so we just wanted to be somewhere where it felt like we could engage in the world in a space of enjoying your life and feeling you know, a sense of community, a sense of, and then you could have actually a career and a job that fulfills you. We come back to San Diego and it wasn't that. So for multiple years between 2017 and 2019. I mean honestly, 2022, so 20 you was know, so like three years, three to four years in the middle, it was a challenge of how can I work with the norm? Do I need to work with the norm or can I create my own not bubble. can I create my own? Can I create the reality that I'm trying to that I'm trying to live in? somewhere else is it even possible can I support myself with um my career with my job that became really the bigger challenge and to an extent we have sort of my family has sort of solved that problem I've sort of solved that problem for myself and so that was really more just in the center central years and so yes it was like a there's all the there's yeah living in a small space is hard we but we didn't really fight with each other We kind of all got along. The only, it was just a little too, and, you know, whatever, go go outside, go complain outside if you're going to, if you're going to whine. But that wasn't the harder part. It was more a sense of uh, having to each within our own family, uh, face our own shadows, our own inner programming, um, belief systems about how, what we need to be and how we need to get our value from other people and each having that own journey as seven people within one journey. (laughs)
0: <laughs> a microcosm. You, you said something funny to me, where can you find like-minded people that you can connect with? It's not like you can just find, put an ad out there to find families that have dropped everything, joined an RV circus and are traveling the world. So where can we find some of those people? It, it, you talk a lot about, you know, the being dropped in this microcosm for seven years. You were 14 years old when you began this journey. Yeah. So it's funny how you view it now. So what is it, seven years later, eight years later? I I don't even Uh, know.
2: Seven years later. Seven
0: years later. So seven years later, Gabby, in the context and after having all those experiences and the mindset that you've developed through those experiences, what would you say is the biggest difference between Gabby 14 and now Gabby 21, who has a completely different context and understanding of not only how the world works, but sort of that metamorphosis that, that you went through over those seven years?
2: yeah so I would say honest, the basic is that i I was outsourcing all of my power back then. I was outsourcing my entire sense of self constantly and repetitiously, and I had no idea I was doing it. so the big transformation uh really came down to well the first fundamental level is that i I think our sense of self value is the foundation from which you build all empowerment off of so back then i. Sourced my self-value and I constantly lived in pursuit of... Let me stop
0: you there for a second. I I understand it, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. When you say you outsourced your sense of self, what do you mean by that exactly? Explain that a little bit more deeply.
2: Okay. So yeah. So yeah, I grew up a competitive athlete for a long time. And so as a competitive athlete, well, the question we can go further into like, well, why, why are people create those belief systems to start with? But my belief system to start with was that I needed to achieve and accomplish in order to be seen as a valuable human being. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have that. And um, you know, I have a business with my sister, and we talk about the Enneagram a lot. And we each create, depending on our Enneagram, which has nine different types, we have a different core desire and a different core fear. And so there's a lot of people out there who also feel that they need to accomplish and achieve in order to create their sense of worthiness. And whatever we can go into the other. Eight types, but uh, on the basic level, like I was looking out there to see, be seen that I'm a valuable human being. So I constantly lived in pursuit of the next accomplishment, whether it was through gymnastics, competitive gymnastics, then it was competitive soccer, then it was competitive surfing, and then it was through entrepreneurship until I finally, through RV Living, realized wait, why am I constantly competing? And because we were in the RV and I never had any cell service or running water and electricity and I was just in the forest and I was there with my thoughts, I realized I don't even like to compete. And when I went through that, I go, okay, so then why am I competing? And when I was asking why I was competing, I was like, well, I, I receive validation and attention when I do, when I get first place. And so when I realized that, I was like, wow, so I don't actually own my power. And of course, do all of the research and like learning that I did like directly and non-directly through life experience. I was like, well, I'm literally giving away my power because I don't own my power. I don't own my power because I don't believe in my value as a human being without the accomplishment. And so that's the biggest transition where realizing that I was outsourcing my power because I was outsourcing my value to something outside of me. And anytime, that's why I talk about value so much. Because if you're out, if you're outsourcing your power, it's because you have place your value on the extrinsic result which is not within your control even though we'd like it to be whereas if it's an intrinsic value the action itself is fulfilling so you can con- it's within your power within your control and your free will to do use that value to the best of your abilities and even if it doesn't go well you have your power within you and you're going to keep pushing forward because you're not seeing yourself as a failure and you're always going to push yourself to the next level
1: can you just kind of leading into that even more so you're talking about your intrinsic value and in creating your worth from within can you give us a couple of pointers of, of how you would suggest if if this is kind of clicking for people that they're like oh, you know what that's exactly what I do what are some steps that they can take to to become more self-aware of that and to to define their value in a different way?
2: Yeah so uh, I always say that every moment of our life is dictated by a value system. And so if you can go through your day, just a regular day and just start to, to literally take notes of all the things that maybe you do, maybe you'd start with the bigger things, you know, starting with your know, career or your significant relationships say, okay, well, why did I do that? Or I did this action. These are the most significant actions I took in my day. Okay. So what, well, what value could I could be acting um, to do that from, because it's coming from some value system, whether you like it or not. And then you say, well, am I doing it from an the extrinsic? Then you have to actually incorporate a sense of mindfulness and consider, am I seeking to have a result from this? If I do this and I get nothing in return, am I going to feel bad? Because if you do feel bad, then, then it's an extrinsic value. So if you know, for example, when I was competing, I would start to ask myself because I would, the second year we were in RV, I still competed in surfing. And I would sit there before my heat and go, if I do... Bad at this. Am I gonna feel bad? And I would say yes. And so then I started to say, okay, so now I'm acting from the extrinsic value. So then you have once you have the extrinsic value, it's sort of the easy part. The harder part is being able to identify the actions that you're taking and notice that, oh, that's an extrinsic value. You know, for example, if you're in a in a relationship and you're you're talking to a significant other a partner, and if you don't get the response you want from that person, Because it could be coming from, I want acceptance or love or whatever, belonging from this person. If I don't get the words that I want in response, am I going to feel bad or not how I want to feel? Then it's an extrinsic value. And then you can kind of easily flip it into an intrinsic value, which is, well, is this coming totally within me? So acceptance, I always say that you can change it to uh, personal power. Can you act in the best of your abilities in your personal strength? your courage and your boldness, bravery, that's all within your, your power. You can show up and be like, I'm going to be as bold as I can be. I'm going to be as confident as I can be. You know, I'm going to be as peaceful or as whatever, all these words you can put within you. It's within your ability. You can be as creative as you want to be. And that's kind of the, that's the, the framework for how you kind of switch that.
0: So that's easier said than done. I mean, you've, you've had the Let's just be real for a second. You've had the the benefit of going through a journey that was brought to you by your parents. That you you sort of found this on your own, but a lot of people don't have that luxury. And that I don't mean that term to I don't mean that to disenfranchise what you've done. When I say luxury, I mean most people just sort of. All right. Let me back up. You were homeschooled, right? So I was homeschooled. I I now that I'm a father, and my and I have kids they have some they have friends who are public schooled with them and they also have some friends that are homeschooled i've noticed a marked difference every time these friends are over at the house in the homeschooled kids ability to engage with an adult politeness meters levels of acknowledgement around their personal awareness just general humanity of themselves they seem to be more self aware than anyone else so You've had the benefit of kind of having that juxtaposition before you went into the RV. You sort of had that. Your parents must have instilled some sort of ability to critically think. you were robotically trained by the public school system. You sort of had this kind of personal awareness already. How do people who, are, who, who have not had that luxury, and I don't mean that in the terms of like, oh, you're an entitled person, but how do people who have not had the opportunity, let's use that word, to go through a system of, of upbringing like you did, siblings get in an rv kind of live this really cool life of self-discovery and self-exploration and having these unique experiences how can somebody just sort of change that paradigm now so they can start to jump into the space of uncovering who they are and finding the stillness within and sort of enjoying their own personal flow state
2: yeah i mean i wish there was an i wish there was an easy workaround To all of our programming that we end up with. And in the end, it's gonna come back to the programming. I think that's important for people to understand. So, yeah, you can't just jump in and just like change your value systems. You're right. It's it's not that simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. So before that, you have to have awareness. Awareness is awareness and understanding of yourself is the foundation from which you can build your or make mindfulness choices about but how do you build awareness? Well, awareness to me comes from complete lack of distraction. It comes from actually in this old kind of tie into flow state later, we have five brainwaves that we operate in. And we have uh, our deepest sleep, which is Delta. Then we have Theta, which is when we're kind of coming out of sleep, we're in this dream state. And then we'll fall back to sleep, we go into Theta. Then we have Alpha. And Alpha is this state we're in where we're in creativity and. You know, if you're if you're writing or if you're reading a well, sometimes if you're if you're reading like an easy book or if you're going on a run or doing yoga and maybe the run is relaxing for you, or you're doing yoga, then you have beta, and beta is where we're productive. But beta is inherently our stress state. And then we have gamma, and then gamma is where we have flow state, which we'll hopefully talk about later. But the problem is that to actually build awareness, it's all about getting out of beta. Boom. The problem is that we are chemically addicted to stress. We're chemically addicted to being in our beta state. And so, the, of course, to actually make this change, you first have to have just a willingness. If you have a willingness to show up, it's very easy because you have to, because you're getting out of, to get out of beta, you have to teach yourself how to relax. It's just easier said than done to teach yourself how to relax, especially because, of, you know, when our American culture is like, that promotes overworking and workaholism and all of that. But we carry that with us through our entire day. So what happens in beta is that, have you ever had where you go to, where you go and work and you're working on a project or whatever it is at work and it's a really invested project that you have to be really focused for. And you leave work, you leave this project to go do something else and your brain still feels in this kind of trap. You're kind of just like brain fog or like high alert but you're not really processing everything that's around you. It's kind of that mode where you get into where you're, maybe you're driving and you're like, what are you getting you get into an accident? Or like, you're like, Oh shoot, I was totally, how did I miss that sort of thing? That's the mode where, where you can kind of tell that that's the overuse of beta, the beta addiction, the stress addiction, because we've got this. So we have this negativity bias that makes it. So we latch onto negative memories and we keep ourselves in beta. So it's kind of this perpetual cycle. We, We go to, we're told that we got to be, we have to be successful because we outsourced our values in the first place from a young age. So we outsourced our values. So we got to be successful in work. So we go to work and we're in beta because that's how you get things done. It's an important brainwave, but we overuse it. and So we overuse it because when we're not working, we go and scroll on social media and we're focused on the material reality and the to-do lists and all the things in this physical world that we can see and touch. And we're worried about, ah, shoot, I got to do laundry when I get home. So we're stuck in beta still. And then when we actually try to sit down and relax, we have this negativity bias that kicks in and that negativity bias uh, that uh, hold latches on to negative memories over positive ones starts to, oh, you have this space of emptiness where you're not focused on something. Oh, let me bring up all those negative things and this might be happy ha- is might be happening on a subconscious level. So then the subconscious negativity bias kicks in and then we're back in beta again. so, The out is when we learn how to actually relax and experience alpha, alpha brainwaves. Alpha brainwaves occur when we're not focused on the material reality. But of course, part of the problem is that most people don't know that there's anything if there's anything but the material reality. So I know I'm going on a little bit of a rant here on like why 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 this issue is here, but it starts with a willingness to see what is happening on our neurological level and psychological level. Realizing that we have all odds against us and we have to try to build awareness anyway. If we can actually see this happening in ourselves, well, then you've made, made it past the first wall and then you're going to have the field starts to open up and then you can actually start to contemplate values and all. But kind of comes back to, the, back to that we are addicted to beta. We're addicted to stress. We have to teach ourselves to relax and experience creativity that occurs when we're in the alpha brainwaves and the theta brainwaves and then flow state.
0: All right, without going into all the bioneural network stuff, because that's some advanced stuff that you just dropped. <laughs> you, I, I want to simplify the conversation for a minute, okay? So you're 14 years old, you get in an RV, you start traveling the world. It's a completely different paradigm than most people are brought up in. And you talked a lot about we're constantly competing. And you're right, especially in the Western world, everything is a freaking competition. You're taught to get better grades than your peers. You're taught to be a better athlete. You're taught to be a better gymnast. You're taught to be a better um, child to your parents. You're literally in a constant state of competition. And that's not how humans were designed to be. We were designed to be collaborative, cohabitative symbiotic people who work together with each other to build communities and foster love and kindness that's great but in a, and for most people that just sounds like a bunch of woo woo nonsense so you're 14 years old you're on this van with your five other siblings two parents what was the feeling getting into this flow state what was the self awareness don't i don't want to talk about bio neurons and alpha waves and beta waves what was that sort of sense of peace to you what was it at 14 years old when you realized I'm a little bit different than most people. I'm doing something completely different than most people. And this feels like what to me?
2: So when we first started doing it, I learned to rock climb. And I was rock climbing. I, the first year I rock climbed, I liked rock climbing, but I wasn't that good at it. Second year, when we're in Europe, I'm climbing this, it's called a multi-pitch. So it's this multi-level, you have to take your rope up multiple times on this route in Switzerland. And my mom and I climbed this route. And that was the first time in my life I acknowledged that I was experiencing flow state. And I mean, I didn't know it was flow state at the time, but what happened was I was climbing this and kind of that, what flow state happens. And I didn't know it was flow state, but you have that warped sense of time. You lose track of who you are and you're just disconnected from the self-monitoring. You're disconnected from your, because we have a self-monitor going on. And our self-monitor is, Keeping track of things that are going on in the external world. But that was, that was not even happening. It was like shut off in my brain. And when I experienced that, I got to the top of that rock and I was like, this action in and of itself is fulfilling. This is enough. I
0: so in that self-monitoring state, sorry, I just I'm gonna interrupt because I, there's a couple of things I really want to get at before we run out of time. You get to the top of the peak, you're you're not doing self-monitoring. And you sort of were aware at that point in time that what you just accomplished was something almost transcendental to you. Is that a better way to say that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, at that age, I felt that this was it, and I can't say like what it is, but this is the pursuit. This is the what I want to live my life in pursuit of because I have just this feeling that this is right, and it's going to lead to something else. This isn't the be all end all, but I felt that this was something more than. Talking to my friend about what he did and what she said.
0: How do I bottle that shit up?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could.
0: <laughs> Interesting. At least I see you see this. Sorry, I was.
1: Kind of- no. So, what would you say it is when you're saying this is it? What is that? Is it different for each person? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it serenity? What What is it? What is the thing that you get from the flow state?
2: Yeah, I mean, she's like it's dependent on person. I feel that it could, it can be a very, very spiritual experience. However, on the non-spiritual level, I feel that it was it's a perfect combination, the meeting point between like the masculine, the feminine, discipline, surrender, um, of action and creativity. And you have in the, you're in this meeting space, and in that meeting space, you feel. I guess it's a sense of like transcendence, where you're peaceful but you're also vibrating with this sense of strength and energy feels like it's radiating out of you. And it sounds like, you know, I try not to make, make it sound like too much of this. It's this grandiose thing because then people get caught up and have to just constantly pursue it. But it becomes this, this fuel that you see like, hmm, there's more to life. There's more to life than what I've been told.
0: You actually kind of find your, what you just said was pretty um pretty intuitive you actually find yourself in the self-monitoring state of trying to achieve flow state if you're not a, if you're not sort exactly. of exactly aware of that right
2: right and uh, the thing about it is that what you experience then in flow state just becomes an inspiration at first you're gonna go and try to you'll know, try to keep chasing that feeling like okay i'm gonna go i would try to you know keep rock cl- i still rock climb and and i surf and i still want to get into that mode but my mind wants to f- try and experience that philosophy of that feeling in that moment in my life and so i i try of course i fail at this often but i try to live my life where i'm acting from a place of discipline and surrender constantly to create that flow that order and chaos that and like i said action and creativity in that meeting point because you kind of start to find the unique the unique soul that you have that because we end up pulling ourselves to extremes, excuse me, <clears throat> pulling ourselves to extremes, whether we're like, okay, I gotta be this for this person and this for this person. And then you find your center point when you find the meeting point.
1: Is it the removal of ego?
2: I don't think we can ever remove the ego, but I do think that it, it dials down
0: because wait, wait. Lise, what do you mean by that? Sorry, I want to hear that a little bit deeper.
1: Well, everything that Gabby is saying, like how we want to show up for everyone too, right? And we want to be competitive and we want to be the best and we feel like we should, we should, we should, we should. And taking that that inner voice, that ego out, that's always demanding us to be something other than being present.
2: Well, yeah, and I think that's actually the spot on to the philosophy that we're trying to take out of flow state into our life. Because yeah, it's like, to get into flow state from the like, science standpoint, you can't be self-conscious. You can't actually, like I said, you self monitoring, you know, self monitoring. you can't be self-conscious either. You can't actually be aware of your body in space and time. You have to shut that off and just focus on the inputs. But that's the philosophy we we, we are trying, striving to carry over into our life. Because there, the ego just stops. I mean, it doesn't, it exists constantly. We're never rid of it, but it stops. Ego's worried about survival. And in that moment, you're not worried about survival. You're worried about interconnectedness, fulfillment, the pursuit, the flow. And so, yeah, that's the mindset I I strive to teach and coach people into in their lives. Or you can experience that in your life, but it's much harder to keep an eye on that ego all the times when you don't have the distraction of the inputs of high risk situations, such as rock climbing or whatever you know it's much easier in extreme sports to get into flow state because you're forced to it's much harder when you don't have the being you're not forced into it but yeah the that is a definitely what we're striving striving to get rid of the not get rid of reduce the use of the the ego in life
1: oh sorry go ahead go ahead
2: I, I love I love the life
1: that you've lived already. And I think a lot of people listening to it might be thinking, well, you know, she was, she's been climbing mountains around the world and surfing around the world and seeing all the beautiful things. So it's easy for her to get into that state and to be able to be mindful and meditative and do all those things because you didn't have the distractions. But you've had to come back to the world too. And I don't know if that's even more of a crescendo when you come from that environment to to living in suburbia or a normal life or all of that so you've obviously been able to tackle that as it's kind of come full-fledged and hit you in the face as you're not on a mountain having that thoughtful mindful meditative state so can you walk us through a few things that you would suggest or explain to people to to be able to tackle that and to be able to to not be distracted, to find those those tools and and that kit that they need to be able to be in the flow state.
2: Yeah. So um, the first step I always tell people to start with is to monitor your state of mind within a day. And you make a list of, you know, from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. on a, on a note. And every hour on the hour you check in with your minds with your mind. And you ask yourself if you're stressed and people like, well, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed in my life. But stress is anytime you're not, you're out of homeostasis. So are you perfectly balanced right now? Because if, you, if you're if you not, then you're stressed. So, and you start marking your stress, 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 stress. No, I'm not stressed here. And when you notice, then you start to force more time in your life to do nothing, nothing, no, no social media. And on a very first step level, you make time in your life to do what we consider unproductive and be creative and creativity can look like a lot of things. It's not just go paint on a canvas. Uh, It can be movement. Like for me, I've always been, I find creativity in movement. Some people find creativity in writing, photography, whatever your art form is, your, you get, you find your flow state. Not only you improve your ability to get into flow state, but you find your flow state in life. When you find your creativity, your creativity is when you get, is you start to unlock that, that energy, that centered energy in the middle. So you start with that. And if you can make space, just 15 minutes at first, then 30 minutes, then an hour in your life, then you start to, I know, creativity kind of feels interesting. It doesn't feel like stress. And then when you can kind of distinguish what stress and creativity feel like, then you start to realize, oh yeah, I'm living my life constantly stressed. Um, And the other thing is to be able to do focused meditations where, you know, uh, I always say that you don't have to meditate. However, I think most people, because they didn't grow up with this luxury of a life that I did, you have to have med, I didn't meditate for years and years and years, but I think most people do need meditation to force the, to force the mindfulness to happen unless you want to go, you know, camping in the wilderness with no cell service and no running water and electricity. You can do that too. But you got to create that space where you just start to practice the total distractionlessness. And then you notice all the thoughts. Oh, my gosh. I have so many thoughts running through my mind.
0: That's funny. The whole meditation piece, it's it's sort of become a cliche word. And I don't think a lot of people understand it, including myself. The best explanation I've received from that is literally doing nothing. And when something pops up, fighting through the something and getting back to nothing. And, and so being able to just kind of sit still and do nothing, whether it's sitting outside in your backyard and watching the leaves move or the birds chirp or whatever it is, just having that moment of stillness, it does wonders because then it starts to build upon itself. Right.
2: Absolutely. And I didn't even, I don't even think you need to fight the thought. I think if we just observe the thoughts, we'd take so much of our power. We, if we knew, if we saw the thought pass by our minds, we would have so much power within us to know what is filling our mind. You have, you have so many things you can do with that from that point.
0: Yeah, I like that better. I didn't necessarily mean fight the thought. I guess sort of acknowledge that there's something that's getting in the way of your, do, of your nothingness and mm-hmm. then getting back to your nothingness like, instead of trying to like, oh, shit, I got to get up. Time is passing. I better get back to work. Lisa and I, you and I, you and I were having this conversation the other day. It's funny, this competitive mode that we live in. And we actually feel guilty if we take time off, if we're not doing something. Sometimes Lisa and I will because we you know we run a couple of different businesses and there's so many different moving parts to it. It's like shit, we're literally making ourselves feel guilty if we take an hour to ourselves to go for a walk around the block in the middle of a workday. But is there a way that you have found in your experiences that when that guilt starts to creep in around especially entrepreneurs, how can you sort of pacify that urge and be like, it's okay, man, it's okay. Like take a beat, take a beat.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm that is something that is so so dominant when you're working with people who are trying to high, be high performers in entrepreneurship. And you know, something crazy is when I'm uh, up at home in Montana, uh I can't take an hour off without feeling that sense of like looming guilt in my, like, you know, deep rooted in your gut. You're like, I can't rest. I can't rest. I can't rest. Yeah, and so,
0: makes it so good that even a flow state guru has that. problem.
2: <laughs> right. Like that's, that's my biggest, my I biggest, an asshole
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but, but I, and again, this is one that's like, it's simple to solve, but it's not easy because there's not a way to address that without diving, without diving into the deep end. And of course, sometimes we start with things like stress first, but diving into the deep end of like, okay, well, where in your life did that belief system come from that you can't rest? And of course, generally, it's going to come back to like those generally middle school, high school ages. I mean, sometimes even younger than that. And you go, yeah, I remember that moment or whatever you have these kind of these moments. And it helps when you can get those out in writing. Like, yeah, I remember thinking this, and this is what the scenario is like, this person said this to me. And then I remember from that moment on, I kind of had the feeling or maybe there's a couple moments you get it out in writing and it is literally in the moment where you're feeling this guilt overwhelming you that you can't rest it is a it's a fight it's a fight with your subconscious and this is where flow comes in Is a philosophical standpoint discipline and surrender discipline is where you're like i'm disciplined in my perceptions i own my thoughts i this is a jocko willing quote that you will you must own everything that you do you're creating those thoughts. You acknowledge that. you go, "Oh wow, this is not something happening to me. You take full ownership for the fact that, yeah, I am actually creating my own suffering right now. You're disciplined about the fact that you you can have the power to change that. And you, the way you change it is surrender, the opposite end of flow. And we are so latched on to our thoughts. So when I'm in those moments, it feels like it feels like, I, I can't fight this. It's just overwhelming me. I go back to work. But instead, you go, hey, wait, this is my like primal hard one. I'm taking in right now. If I'm like, this discipline, but like, no, like, I don't have, I have ownership over myself. And then you surrender, and you surrender, and you let go of your attachment because you're holding on to those thoughts because the negativity bias is like, yeah, you got to feel negative. But you surrender because you have the power of your human soul and your human spirit to be able to override that primal hard drive to hold on to the negativity and be addicted to your suffering. So discipline and surrender are kind of the, the, the solution to overcoming that guilt. And that can really apply to any moment where you're having your, your, your self-limiting beliefs show up across, uh, across athletics or your writing uh, creativity, whatever it is.
1: Okay. That struck a lot of chords with me. And when you're saying what, you know, the root of it, I know the root of it for me is scarcity. It's, it's it's a big thing whether it's money or business or whatever there's that that gnawing if I don't do this now like the whole pyramid will fall apart right I have to yeah.
2: do it absolutely and I think you know I always I was told my parents that yeah you guys are giving me so many gifts but you've definitely given me a lot of scarcity problems too because I think that's it and so many of us, even though the irony is that it's not we're a third world country where we experience tons of poverty and for the individual, there may still be that. But for the most part, most Americans are not struggling to like have enough money to survive. And yet, at the same time, most of us still have the belief system that we won't have enough money to survive. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Mm-hmm.
0: Lisa, that point you just made is brilliant. I was having a conversation with Bijou. She's part of our mastermind and I'm doing some work with her on the side of the day and she had me go through this exercise around scarcity. And and I had to write down some of the phrases that I heard as a child from my parents and then just sort of meditate, if you will, on those, but metabolize them. And it is really crazy when you don't stop and have the self-awareness to think about that and the context that we were brought up with and the impact that that has on us today as adults, you start to realize that those sort of phrases that we were told as children, you start to live them out as adults. And, and it's crazy. So I'm I'm, act, I'm actively now, every time, like my daughter asked me to buy this plant yesterday at the store, it's this really beautiful hanging plant. And I'm thinking, shit, that's $59. I'm really going to buy my kid a $59 plant? And I was like, I caught myself as I was saying that the exact same thing that my mom or my dad would tell me when I was out wanting something. And they would say to me, no, that's $59, honey, we can't afford that. So you know what I did? I bought her two plants that equal $59, but weren't exactly what they were. But it just made me sort of be able to move beyond that space of saying no to her, which was really not... I have the money to buy a $59 plant, but I was thinking, wow, scarcity. Should I not buy another plant for my kid? So I just reversed it around and I bought her two plants for the price of one. That made me feel better, but I still spent the same money. So it's funny. You talked at the beginning of this. You had gone on the voyage. You came back to all these people. And you suddenly had a completely different perspective of everything after you had these experiences. You can't unlearn what you already know, but you can relearn Things that you were taught in, in, inappropriately. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely.
1: Mm, a, a couple of things. First of all, if you want to practice unlearning your scarcity, you can buy me plants. I'm open to that. And as well, like everything that you were saying, Gabby. Like it really strikes home as well. The um, lengths that we go to to avoid what we need to do this inner work and all of that. And I think, you know, you're talking about finding that becoming disconnected with certain things that are, that are, you know, taking our minds in different directions, mainly social media, you binge watching TV, all those other things that we use as a um, means to avoid that inner work. And I think, I think we all know, and I, I've had conversations with Devo too, that he's wanted me to do certain things. And I'm like, I know that if I go down that path, I'm not sure what's going to surface. There's things there and that takes it takes the work and we're we're not afraid of working hard and working doing all those other things but when it comes to doing our own inner work and sitting still and being patient and quiet and reflective and not getting a result like I can I can bang stuff out and work like in my business and see the results. I can visually check those boxes off. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about is not as visual as it is internal, and that's really interesting to me. The the mindset that we have in this culture to want to show things visually to show our 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 worth. Um, can you talk a little bit about how we unlock that warrior inside of us? Because you've you've kind of wrapped that up in some of the things that I was stalking you on.
0: Yeah, yeah. without having to scale a one hundred foot peak. Yes. I'm afraid (laughs) of (laughs) heights.
2: Well, I think, and we kind of through, through this conversation, we've actually kind of covered what it is. And so you have awareness and it says that's the place where you start to notice that the stress is happening. And I actually have to force myself to be unproductive and do things for myself and be creative and be, have creative self-expression, whatever that looks like for you. And then if you can build awareness, then you can at least start to notice the value systems. You don't have to change them right away, but you can at least start to start to notice and this is what you're talking about where you're, you know, and I was I'm absolutely have been caught up in this too and I still get pulled back into it where if I work and I have something tangible to show for this material thing outside of me can prove that ah I did a good job, pretty good, pretty good. But we ha- when we can notice that oh that's actually coming from a value system. It's not to say like we can't we should obviously. It's great that we can get things done and do them well. But also coming from a place of like, yeah, this doesn't define me. This doesn't define how how worthy or valuable or capable or confident I am as an individual. And then from that place, you begin to have the courage to go into your the discipline surrender duality. And the discipline surrender duality is what you're talking about with going into the things you don't necessarily want to. I there's not necessarily a workaround for for the the things that are under the surface. Because you can you can absolutely, you know, I when I work with athletes, I notice that, oh, they they actually can go out and per, perform really well in flow state. They can do the the these five things. They can, they can get the awareness, values, uh, encourage and discipline, surrender. And they do pretty well out there. But when they have to carry that out into their life, they never make it past you like know, they can't make it past that third step of having the courage to face the things that we've tried really hard to hold down for a long time because we hold them down for a long time because we have we feel that negative emotions we shouldn't experience them, right? And I, for sure, when I went through the, the first four years of RV living, I actually managed to all the negative emotion uh, feelings I had in the in the quote unquote betrayals. I felt that it happened by living in an RV. I felt that I had coped or coped with them. I felt that I had processed them. But it wasn't until you know the 2020 and things changed, and I uh, went to this small town in montana with my family i realized that i had pushed a lot of that down and so i had to have i'm so used i was so used to being like oh i'm a i have a lot of courage i just go out on the wall and i actually i'm not scared of things right but i had to have i didn't realize that i didn't have the courage to experience the negative emotions that came with the with the social rejections betrayals except in all the acceptance world and so I had to have the courage and I forced myself. It's like, it's time for me to resolve this because I, I don't, I didn't realize I was carrying around the weight of that everywhere I was going. And then you have the discipline, the discipline, surrender, duality. We say I have the discipline to enter this emotion, even though it's going to feel quote unquote bad, even though it's not really bad, it's just an emotion. And then I have the surrender to let it flow through me and out of me because if you repress the emotion, it do, it doesn't actually process the emotion. So I know that sounds that's like very idealistic. I always get that like oh, it's very idealistic, Gabby. Um, but I don't think there's necessarily an easy. If there was an easy way to process the the subconscious programs, beliefs, and negative emotions that we are carrying with us, then everyone would be clear of them, and we'd all be be able to act from total self-value, total self-personal power and interact with each other from a place of completely believing in ourselves and actually showing up to believe in others and help them unlock their gifts.
0: So Gabby, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we've uncovered today and people can find more of you on your website, which I have on the screen right now. They can also find you on Instagram as well. And so you're offering through, through your service now, through your gift to the universe, you're, you've done some TEDx, Correct. You were a TEDx yep. speaker. Um, you offer on your website master classes, bundles, you have some meditation, some breath works. People can get involved and connect with you directly there. But if people are not able to directly work with you, let's say, for example, I just wanted to sort of start working on my own inner warrior, my own inner flow state. Can you quickly give us three to five things that we could start doing today? That will enable us to sort of get into this flow state space. And, and I'm not talking long, drawn out stuff like five tips journal, meditate, take a walk, whatever that might be. What are some three to five things that we could start doing ourselves today?
2: Okay, so one is you keep a WCF journal, words, thoughts, feelings journal, what the fuck journal. Um, and as you go through your day, notice your triggers. And if you can notice them, write them down because they're gonna indicate your self-loaning beliefs to you that later on you can decide if you want to start to heal. So the second thing would be to meditate and you meditate at first to build awareness, but if you do it right, then you can make your whole life a meditation. So it's just a starting point and a lot of people get caught up in meditation is going to be the answer, but think of it like a transition phase. And the third thing you have to do is be creative. And again, creativity can look like a lot of different things, but forcing yourself into a space where there's no expectation, there's no need to be productive. And if you don't know where to start with, you're like, I don't even, I don't really like moving. I don't really have a creative hobby. Then you sit, you sit in like an empty room with no phone and you sit there until you find something that feels like creative self-expression. And those three things alone would be, are massively impactful. If you could do those three things, massively impactful, you will have so you'll be able to see all of the, the thoughts and limitations you have before you. And you also see all this potential that you have with this creativity. And from there, it's like a springboard effect.
0: I love it. If you had the ability to change everything that goes on right now in terms of the world so that people could be happier, kinder, more disciplined, have more surrender, all some of the words that you've dropped, what would be the, the, I'm giving you the, the magic wand of ultimate power. You can do whatever it is that you can change. You can change one thing about the planet, one thing about humanity, one thing about self-awareness what would be that one thing you would change
2: this is this is a really hard question I have to think for a second. <laughs> Lisa
0: do you what would you change while Gabby's thinking?
1: Oh no, you can't you can't direct this at me we're we're banging we're <laughs> up on Gabby right now.
2: <gasps> okay, magic wand
0: you get to change okay. one thing
2: everyone. That's how the phrase this right. Everyone was completely, 100% embodied and believed in their own self-value.
0: And they would just intrinsically know that.
2: They would completely, 100% believe that they themselves were enough. Because I think that at the foundation of any conflicts that we end up having like we have this huge spectrum of issues in the world and everyone fights that like obviously a lot of us are like you obviously don't see what's going on and then there are other people who are like whatever they're complaining on their end of the spectrum we have this huge spectrum of oppositions constantly and at the end I think that if everyone everyone is acting from all of these Fears and trying to prove in different ways to prove that they're enough, whether it's coming from a sense of betrayal, whether it's coming from a sense of ego, all of these things, I think in the end, self-value.
0: And having that intrinsic ability of no self-limiting beliefs about oneself, that would do away with the whole idea of self-monitoring that we're always doing.
2: potentially
0: um well if you're you self-aware have... and you're and you love everything about yourself and you don't believe that you have limiting beliefs the way i understood your self-monitoring is you wouldn't always be checking in am i enough am i good enough am i doing better than that person does my does my work look better than this person over here you just sort of be present and mindful knowing you're doing whatever you're doing and it's just it, it's good enough
2: yeah potentially i am I'm, I'm like thinking and potentially the self-monitoring would be able to kick in from a place of am I, or it may be from the self-value standpoint, you believe in your value, you might have the limitations anyway, but you still have the value, you value yourself enough to em- embrace the fact that life is full of limitations and, but you value yourself enough to work with them and actually not freeze under the limitations. Mm-hmm. And maybe the self-monitoring, maybe this is idealistic, is coming from a place of, well, how can I act from this intrinsic value better to show up for others? in the best way it
0: can. Hmm. Lisa, any closing thoughts?
2: Um, I
1: I love, like, I love your story, but I love even more your heartfelt intuition behind all of it and the difference that it can make. Those, those simple but powerful things that we need to bring into our life. So thank you for sharing that.
2: Thank
0: you. <laughs> One of the things that I've... I taken away from this conversation with you is that flow state like everything else in life is different for everyone for different people like my flow state is different than yours and how i find that is probably my own little path and journey but i think um the message that i walked away with in this conversation with you um by the way i was looking up flow state in psychological or, or scientific terms it's called transient hypofrontality did you know that Say that is a mouthful. I like flow state. I better.
1: like flow state better. Okay,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> makes me feel cooler.
2: I probably read it somewhere. I was like, Yeah, it's
0: not important. <laughs> I, I always have to make everything so complex. It's either in Latin or it has like 27 different <laughs> ways. To it's like, dude, it's just flow state. Keep it easy. Um, one of the things I've taken away from this is sort of the fact that. Not only can we live, and I hate this term, but not only are, do we all have the ability to sort of live our own best life, whatever that means to us, but the limiting beliefs that we're caught up in right now are not based upon our story or our context. They're based upon something else that was handed to us and we were told that we had to live up to. And and if there's anything I love most about what Lisa and I are doing with the podcast and what we're doing with our lives right now is that... We're meeting people like yourself on a daily basis who have stepped outside that limiting belief of that paradigm of you have to be a robot, and you have to follow these rules, and you have to go to college, and you have to work for the corporate world, and then you have to retire, and you have your white little box and your white little house, and you can live happily ever after for the remaining 10 years of your life after you've worked for 60 doing nothing purposeful. So. I love the fact that that there are people like you who are doing these sorts of things out there. And I really appreciate the fact that you're sharing that message. If if you had one message to leave, you've transcended to a different flow state and you're going to leave the planet. The mothership has arrived. What's that one message you'd like to leave to the planet?
2: Another one that's idealistic, but (laughs) I think everyone is on a path to become the hero of their journey if we looked at ourselves through that lens of being the hero of our journey not only would we put the value inside of ourselves we have self-value but we'd also look at ourselves from a state that your your limitations and the journey to overcome them is not something you have to do it's something you get to do and the feeling you get when you not when you don't just overcome a material limitation it's a limitation you've been holding within your your being that you've been holding on to your whole life when you overcome that that is a feeling of meaningfulness that you that you experience in your body that makes the entire journey of it all all of the chaos of it all so worthwhile that you are here to be able to overcome and experience Yeah, that's about it.
1: So, Gabby, can you share with us how people get in contact with you for those people that aren't watching your name flash across this uh, soon to be YouTube? (laughs) Uh,
2: You can find me on my website, uh, gabbyrobledo.com, G A B I R O B L E D O.com. And then I'm on all the social medias uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube. um, And on YouTube, you can find me, uh, search that same name, or go to Making Mindfulness Fun. Uh, and that's all. How are you
0: using social media to tell your brand story? What is it you do? What what's sort of your purpose behind that?
2: Um particularly, I try to uh you know because I I show up with on my on my so, certain social channels I show up by myself. But on YouTube I show up with my business partners who are my sister and my mom and we show up and we want to help people bring awareness to essentially everything we talked about bring awareness Ways you can bring awareness to your limiting beliefs, um, ways you can use personality archetyping systems to kind of like do it for you in a sense of, because we have these, I told you about the Enneagram earlier, we show up and try to, here's another way that you can identify your limiting beliefs without necessarily having to first do the mindfulness. First, you can find the limiting belief and then you can do the work. And we try to show up um, and give you strategies, tips, and ways for you to actually start overcoming those limitations to live an empowered conscious life.
0: Have you developed some sort of a uh, self-help checklist so that we can go through these enneagrams and understand our own limiting beliefs, then we could turn around and work with you on those based upon our our assessment?
2: Um, I do. I have them in many forms. (laughs) I have them in different forms depending on the desired, the goal. If it's related to purpose, I have one for that. And if I have one related to um, reaching your highest level of performance that you can do.
0: I'd be interested in seeing those if you don't mind sharing them. Not now, just at some point. I'd be oh, okay.
2: I'm like, <laughs> oh. She's like on it.
0: Like, oh, okay. I'd be interested in seeing those. And maybe when we launch the show, we can share those with people as a download that, that might be interesting. I, I personally would like to go through that. I went yeah. through Jordan, um, Lisa, I did that Jordan Peterson one recently that I was telling you about. It's pretty cool. Um, anyhow. All right. Lisa, any closing thoughts again?
1: So many closing thoughts. Um, I just really appreciate you spending the time with us, Gabby, and sharing those tips and tricks, the mindfulness to help us to to discover that we are enough and we can be even better when we kind of introspectively get into our own flow state, whatever that flow state may be, and not do it in a competitive way. Honestly, mine again is different than yours, and it's different than yours. Mine's obviously better, but hey. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Nice. Okay, so Yeah, we appreciate your guys. time. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great talking to you guys. I love your open mindedness. I love what you guys are doing with your podcast, interviewing people from a, a critical thinking sort of standpoint, um, and really diving into the questions that aren't just on the surface level. i uh, Really enjoyed talking with you guys. Yeah.
0: Thank as you. Well. Thank you. I was trying to figure out how we found you. Do you remember how we found you? I a, think
2: it was your daughter.
0: Was it my daughter who turned to yes.
2: you? Yes. Yes. I, I, I think I was research. I was like seeking, looking in for podcasts related to like mind, like my, why so I found you guys mind, body, business, like mind, body, spirit sort of stuff. And I think I found your podcast and reached out.
0: I, are you sure about that? I think Lisa's I, right. like, I think my daughter follows you. And turns I think. You. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> really? it's like the universe colliding on all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like a oh, simultaneous thing.
0: I love that. Um, I do have one final question, just because Lisa, and this is how I met Lisa, um, she's an avid traveler and, and has been for a large majority of her adult life. I had not tra- done much traveling. And then when I met Lisa, we started kind of going off our own personal quest of, of visiting all over the world. What has been your favorite place that you've traveled so far?
2: Um, either Either Alaska or the Alps, one or the other.
0: We flew over the Alps. remember that?
1: Yeah, so we can basically say we've been there. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. That was my last question, I promise. Thank you for your time. It was really, uh, really good meeting you and chatting with you. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to do this.
2: Yeah, it was great meeting you guys too. Thanks again.
1: Enjoy the rest of your day.
2: Sure. Yeah, you too. The, the
1: lighting,
0: fabulous. I there. know,
2: see, <laughs> the sun does come up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was funny you said that, at least, because it about... We were about 36 minutes in. I looked at the clock and suddenly I started seeing a cast of light move up your face. And I was like, she's right. (laughs)
1: That's
0: funny because I was going to do that. You you guys were in the middle of a deep conversation. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Gabby. Have a fantastic day. Have
2: a good day, guys.
0: So, Lee, we're going to stay on and talk a little bit about that, Um, right?
1: Yes. And we want to talk about our...
0: Hold on. i just going to make a note of this, that the show ends at one sixteen, but I want to segue in. Okay, great. All right. So I'm going to let you just lead into this. So go three, two.
1: So tell me a little bit about what you liked about Gabby.
0: Um, I, I like the fact that we got away from the science of it. I think early on, we were going down too much of a pragmatic, and I wanted to really have a conversation with her. I really wanted to draw her out and, and hear her space, not just the science part of it. Um, I, I like the fact that there's a couple of things. I like the fact that she was homeschooled, and, and the more I hear this and the more I meet homeschooled people, the more I realize there's actually some merit to that. My For the few things that my father had right, I think he had that part right. Um, It's a little scary to me what what I'm seeing happening right now Um, as I as my kids bring their friends over And I'm not joking like some of their friends are have been homeschooled or still are homeschooled And there is a marked difference in the ability for the ones that were homeschooled to actually sit and have a conversation And have real value versus the ones that are not and that's a little bit disheartening to me because My kids are not homeschooled. Um, I love that fact but what I think I love the most about that conversation is that her parents embarked on this journey with the entire family, and it's something that they felt empowered to do and did that. And it's it's there's a lot of metaphors for, in in that space for me. What about you?
1: Um, I think the hardest thing, or what I struggle with the most, and you know I'm on the struggle bus a lot, is when we do a pod- podcast with an amazing enigmatic person that has just got such a story to try to squeeze that story in and then have that conversation too, because she's led a full life already. She's been uh, an incredible athlete, um, surfing, gymnastics, mountain climbing, all of those things, doing it around the world, just that in itself. There's like five different podcasts you can do on all those perspectives. And then her bringing in her, um, her mindfulness and talking about a flow state and talking about being a warrior and, and to, to, you know, be enough and all of those things, all of those are specific conversations and it's really hard to just kind of um, touch on all of those and not want to want to spend the whole day talking to them. Uh, She had so many great points talking about self-monitoring, talking about unworthiness and, you know, finding your purpose and pursuing that. Um, All of those things are things that I think we all struggle with. And a lot of it coming down to those basic necessities that we need to do every day. And I think that we get so busy doing the things that we are validated with and don't spend the time doing those things that internally will make that difference. And we avoid them like the plague.
0: I like the term self-monitoring. I hadn't thought about that before, but she's Mm -hmm. right. We're always in that constant state of self-monitoring everything we do. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to sneeze, so I have to mute myself for a second. Okay, it went away. There's so much pollen in the air right now. I'm sneezing like all day long. But the self-monitoring piece, even just yesterday, I was... was, (laughs) I was thinking about, you know, how I'm, I'm buying all these plans and buying this house and trying to buy a house or do all the different things we're trying to do. And I'm like, well, when is enough enough? And when do you have too much of something? Like, what's that fine line? Mm-hmm. Or when is my house going to be bigger than this person's house? Or like all these different things. And then I, I, I went to the race, to the human race. And I, yeah. And I did that party on Saturday night. It was the quinceañera. And, and easily this family spent $30,000, $40,000 on this quinceañera. And as I was driving home that night, it's my daughter's 16th birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm spending a decent amount of change on her party. But I'm like, I started self-monitoring. I was like, shit, am I doing enough for my daughter's birthday party? After attending this affair and then the smaller, more intimate affair that we're having, like, am I doing enough? Is there, should I be doing more? Should I like be hiring somebody else? Do I need a, a traveling circus to show up? Like all those different things. And we do that all day long. We look at somebody mm-hmm. else's context, somebody else's house, someone else's car. I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't I don't, have enough. What do I, do? What do I need to do to be cooler? What do I need to do to have more?
1: Mm-hmm. The constant search for validation. Mm
0: -hmm. all right so we've got a few things going on yes we do you have been fervently working on a download for our audience Mm -hmm. and about that and how they can get access to that
1: um well i think i think it actually ties in a lot with what we're talking about today you know like we become so um in the rat race we're all on social media and we struggle with it because it's 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 not healthy honestly we're spending too much time on it. We're, we're, we're comparing ourselves to everyone else and all of that. And, but we need to do it for our business. So what's, what's a healthy way to do it? And we have a download for you that goes through the tips on a healthy way to have a relationship with social media. To get, still get the results that you want, but not feel like it's um, a weight tied to your foot and you're drowning. So we have so that download in our show notes. Pardon me?
0: Where where will people be able to find that download? It's in the show episode. It's in our
1: show notes, yeah.
0: Will it also be on the Sprout Connectors website? Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. So um, Lisa's download, How to Have a Healthy Relationship with Social Media. And it's 10 ways that you and I try to impart every day in our social media activities so that we're not overwhelmed and completely caught up in this comparative rat race of look what they have. um, Or as as, um, Gabby put it, um, sort of this constantly having discipline and being able to surrender around what you do. So you kind of stay in the flow state. So that social media doesn't completely overtake your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anything else?
1: No, that's perfect. So if you want to connect with us, we really appreciate you spending the time listening to us, listening to Gabby, and we would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you want to connect with us, you can see me on Lisa's staff photo. You can read and Divulge or digest all the information on Fusion photog He's always dropping something that you're going to want to comment on, and you can reach us at spro Connectors as well. Awesome! That was fast. What could you do in that on the fly?
0: you're good at it. I was actually. Talking to you.
1: <laughs> You've got to watch our YouTube to see what he's doing here.
0: <laughs> all right, that was a good show. Thank you. I appreciate the time you gave to me today, and we'll see y'all next week. If you like the show, you have a couple of Pieces of homework. If you like the show, please like it. If there's any feedback you'd like to leave us, please drop them in the comments below. And if you're following this on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find us, Apple Podcasts, Anchor as well. Um, we are sponsored by Anchor. So we have to say that as well because we love them. Without Anchor, we wouldn't be able to do this fantastic broadcast and have it simulcast across all these different channels. Drop us a comment and follow us. Hit the follow button so you get updates, you have access to the downloads. And all the other brilliant things that we're trying to accomplish on this planet. One.
1: And share this with someone that you think that could use some tips from Gabby on finding your flow state.
0: Okay. That was Gabby Robledo. You can find her at uh, GabbyRobledo.com. That's G-A-B-I-R-O-B-L-E-D-O. I am Debo and my counterpart, Lisa, and appreciate you taking the time to listen to us.